You may be seated. And now for Psalm 130 and 131. Hear now the one infallible, authoritative, inerrant, inspired word of God for all of faith and practice. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait. And in his word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. O Israel, hope in the Lord. For with the Lord there is loving kindness. And with him is abundant redemption. And he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor my eyes haughty. Nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul like a weaned child rests against his mother. My soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. This is God's word, and all God's people said, Amen. Let's pray. Father, we need you. We need you desperately. We need you this day. Let the meditations of our hearts and the words of my mouth be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Waiting on the Lord to see you through any number of challenging circumstances and hopes is hard. Sometimes it's really, really hard. But with the right mindset, its yield can be gold. Have you ever had to wait in a doctor's office? Have you had to wait a long time for something that you knew was not going to be fun? You fumble through magazines, never really settling on any particular article because your attention could never make it through a two-page article. You're nervous, getting cold, a little clammy, Fingers shaking a little bit. You find yourself staring at ads and pictures of things that you were never interested in until now. The clock is going slow, so slow that you swear it's broken. You keep checking your email every five seconds, but nope. No exciting emails telling you of a free vacation to Tahiti. Everyone is getting in to see the doctors ahead of you, it seems, and there you are. Waiting is hard. A wise woman told me something one Sunday morning 
years ago when I was serving in a church in Spokane. She, held, she had a brightly colored head wrap on adorning a beautiful scar of sorts. A head with no hair due to chemotherapy. She had a joyful, faith-filled smile. This is what she said. Ben, God does his best work on you in the waiting room. The waiting rooms of life, that's where life is found. I listened to her and thought, okay, I think it's time for me to sit down now. Who am I? This is a woman who had cancer, went through the many visits to doctors, hospitals, and paperwork, etc., got treatment, suffered many months, and was delivered, went into remission, only for the cancer to return in the same place years later. And the whole process began again, including frustrating, long waiting rooms. God does his best work on you in the waiting room. She had a choice, and she tenaciously clung to the habits of faith and to the habits of joy before cancer, in the middle of cancer, and after cancer. That is powerful. What do Psalms 130 and 131 teach us about fruitfulness like that? How to get that fruitfulness? of waiting on God. Let's turn to the text. The Psalms. The Psalms are a great heritage and possession for our lives. In them, we see how a person of faith should feel, should mourn, rejoice, protest, weep, complain, struggle, and hope, and much more. In the trenches of this very real life, in the Spirit. The Psalms are God's inspired devotional. Psalms 120 through 134, our section, are a grouping of Psalms known as the Song of Ascents, a portion of the Psalter for Israel to sing or chant in their ascent to worship, their ascent to the Temple Mount. This particular section of the Ascent Psalms, 125 on, Remind the worshiper of his need for mercy and complete dependence on God. They are psalms about Zion, priests, the sanctuary. These psalms are about hope. There is always abiding and living hope for the righteous. Look over at Psalm 126. These are psalms of hope during times of exile, longing, for redemption. Look at Psalm 126, 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears shall reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro weeping, carrying his bag of seed, shall indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. Psalm 127, 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it unless the Lord guards the city. 
God builds the house of our lives. He is the stability of our times. He has always been the stability of his people throughout history. He is. Psalm 130 is an individual worshiper's lament. The psalm is about waiting for God's redemption from sin, but also about the long expectation of a breakthrough in any number of circumstances that we can find ourselves in. It is confession. The word confess is not there, but it's a supplication upon the God of forgiveness while in pain. It's struggle and wrestling with God amidst sin and weakness of which our lives are full. We can feel this psalm. A part of what I want to demonstrate is that this person is blessed, believe it or not. I have three primary points here, and I'll state them and then move through the text to demonstrate them. In your waiting, and all of us are waiting, we're all waiting on some things, some of us more severely and significantly than others, but we're all waiting. We're all in the midst of that. That's what it means to live. In your waiting, God wants you to rest. And you can do this because one, with God, is abundant redemption. That's what the psalmist directs us to. Verse 7, with God is abundant redemption. Two, forgiveness is readily available. Verse 4, forgiveness is readily available. And three, because of the kind forgiveness of God, you can rest. Because of redemption, because of forgiveness, you can be fruitful. That's the three primary progression points in the passage. So the waiting worshiper is blessed because he's aware of his iniquities. That's why he's blessed. He expresses penitence and remorse in his attitude. Pay attention carefully to the language again. Out of the depths I have cried to you, O Lord. Lord, hear my voice. Sometimes we feel that the Lord does not hear our voice. But he's, he's petitioning God, nevertheless. Let your ears be attentive to the voice of my supplications. And then he's reminded of who he is. His fallenness, his weakness, his sin. If you, Lord, should mark iniquities, O Lord, who could stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. Out of the depths. This imagery is frequent in the Psalms, if you remember. This is a common illusion. The psalmist often felt like they were drowning and couldn't breathe. Like breakers on the beach that are merciless and seem to have an angry personality set against you. You'll get these often during a storm surge on a coast. You don't have time to properly regroup after each set. Life can feel like that. In a world that runs by merciless law, devoid of grace and understanding and fueled by nothing but your performance, this worshiper is aware of his shortcomings, his very real flaws. And he feels, who can stand? Who can stand? 
Who is completely blameless? Who does not need much forbearance and mercy? And the answer here implicitly is no one. But with God is abundant forgiveness. But let me say, you and I can only have forgiveness when you confess, when there is confession. Forgiveness is not understood or appreciated. Confession, an accurate grasp and acknowledgement of your sinfulness, is the precursor to forgiveness, to even receiving it at all and appreciating it. And that's why this person is in a good place, actually. To be humbled is painful, but to be cocky and confident is a curse, not a strength. And Psalm 131, verse 1, immediately deals with that, and we'll get there. Psalm 130 is meant to teach us our need for God's mercy, and in fact, our only right to enter into God's presence lies in His mercy. Let me say that again. Our only right to enter into God's presence on this day lies in His mercy. The path to appropriating and feeling the redemption of God is in repudiation of one's sin, speaking truth in your heart about it, to confession over it, and that leads to genuine hope. That's the progression. Verse 5, I wait for the Lord. My soul does wait, and in His word do I hope. My soul waits for the Lord more than the watchman for the morning. Indeed, more than the watchman for the morning. That expression is interesting. Think about it. Temple guardians awaiting dawn, staying up all night on duty. Have you ever had to stay up all night? Wait for the morning sun? Years ago, I used to work security for a factory. I was stationed at a guard post out there at the gate where nothing ever happened. I worked third shift all night long. I would get so tired. Have you ever been really, really tired? Having gone to class all day, stayed up, staying up all night, I would, I would stand up and I would be falling asleep standing up. <laughs> I, that never happens to me, except when I was at, so tired, standing up and still falling asleep. It was quite unpleasant. I would sing to stay awake, and that tended to work. The watchman reference reveals that this is a protracted, painful waiting as the minutes and the hours drag by. And darkness is a good illustration for a serious season of waiting on God to do something. He's waiting for the sunny realm of God's love and favor, where he feels God and sees redemption and circumstances, to feel God again, because sometimes trials make us numb, flat, apathetic. But there is a progression that we need to notice here to healthy Christian living. The psalmists continually show us You have to go to God. We're so tempted to go other places. 
to fill up what we need. But the psalmists continually show us we must go to God with the business of our hearts to continue to do this and never stop. Second, dealing honestly with the sin that makes us so ashamed. To confess honestly, as I mentioned, this and this only opens the heart to receive the kind forgiveness of the Lord. Forgiveness is what God promises to those who come to him in faith. Throughout the entirety of the Bible, that and this is the promise, that Jesus is the friend of the mourner, the friend of those who painfully wait in faith. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's an advocate to this kind of a broke this kind of a broken person. He is not the friend of the arrogant and self-assured, the stubborn rebellious that will not repent. This person is blinded by their false strength, and that is a true threat. The progression here is to seek God, to confess, and then humble yourself to the need for God's forgiveness. And this brings hope. And hope, as the New Testament says, does not disappoint, but gives the invigorating reality of assurance. Let's look at the last two verses of the psalm. O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with him is abundant redemption, over the top, magnanimous, lavish, and he will redeem Israel from all his iniquities. So that is the basic progression of Psalm 130, a receiving and embracing the weakness, the dependence, the pain, so that we get to the more valuable gold of what God is seeking to produce in us through the waiting and the trial and the pain. This, this progression, this reality is core to healthy Christian living. No sugar diet or sugar plus diet. This progression, this, these things. A healthy person understands these things to true spiritual health. And so there's this overriding theme of waiting on God in this chapter. It's repeated and it's central. And that's what I'm really after. I wait for the Lord. My soul does. It's a waiting in hope, but it's still waiting. Waiting is very uncomfortable. Is it not? Do you enjoy it? It's very unsettling. It's very destabilizing. We don't like it at all. I think what exacerbates these things, patience, waiting, is the comforts of our own age. If we get five seconds of a spinning circle on our computer screen or an hourglass for you PC people, we get agitated. I mean, five seconds or less. We're an instant microwave culture. Give me what I want now. Google it and fix my life now, please. We don't have to wait for the crop to rise before we eat certain foods. We zip down to the store and complain if we get the last pickings of something or they're out of it. These things mess with us because it's not, it's not how God works. <laughs> That's never going to change regardless of technological advance. 
This is not how God does his magic on a soul. He is in no hurry. He refines you and ages you like wine, ready to be poured out in gladness at the right time. Consider the countless blessings we're surrounded with every day. These are the things that our souls need to feed on. This is not a sermon about our times, about the race tension in our times, but we have a lot of people not seeing things accurately. In truth, there's a proud entitlement that grips people in our age and in every age. Human nature is restless and unthankful, and the religion of progressivism is not reformational. It's the spirit of the age all around us. It's not reformational, but it's an atheistic revolutionism. We're seeing this with the so-called protests around the country. Many are decrying police brutality towards blacks. And wherever it is, Christians denounce it everywhere. But there is the way of faith in our waiting. And there is the way of impulsive hatred, revenge, and unbelief, not trusting in God. And like him or not, Martin Luther King had a more beatitudes-shaped, biblically-grounded, hoped-for justice and action. And it proved effective through great trial. Listen to this quote. I probably shared it before about the cost of not waiting and giving into our lusts. Men fail because they exchange what they want most for what they want now. Convicting. Men fail because they exchange what they want most for what they want now. Adam and Eve did this, launched us all and the human race entirely into death because they wouldn't wait on God, and they didn't wait because they didn't trust. Isaiah 64, 4 says, For from days of old they have not heard or perceived by ear, nor has the eye seen a God besides you, who acts in behalf of the one who waits for him. That's a great promise that we need to remember. In your waiting, Remember, God wants you to rest. And you can flourish in your waiting, believe it or not. Not feeling sorry for yourself, but keep moving. Enjoy Him, enjoy life, and serve others in the process. This is living. Don't start really living well when certain things are fixed or changed, because you're living now. This is the time, the present. And so the three chief points that I shared from before, you can do this because with God is abundant redemption. We see this in verse 7. Two, forgiveness is readily available for you and me. Verse 4 and 3, because of the kind forgiveness of God, you can rest. And now, 
see how Psalm 131 is connected and how I want to connect it with Psalm 130. This is what Psalm 131 is all about. He's painfully waited. He's been in difficulty, circumstantially, pains and trials and tribulations. But he moves to Psalm 131. Let's look at it. Oh Lord, my heart is not proud. Because that's what we're tempted to become during trial and affliction of many kinds. Nor my eyes haughty, nor do I involve myself in great matters or in things too difficult for me. A humble and a trusting, rest-filled disposition is one of the greatest blessings a creature can have. And you can have it through faith. That's the only way, the only way to get there and to possess it. The warning of a self-sufficient pride is clear in what I just read. And notice how he gave a threefold denial of pride, which our hearts are so tempted to. In the heart, first, he says, from where pride essentially comes from, in the eyes and in the actions. Let's finish the psalm. Verse 2 and 3. Surely I have composed and quieted my soul. Like a weaned child rests against his mother, my soul is like a weaned child within me. O Israel, hope in the Lord from this time forth and forever. I think sometimes, I think often, we complicate things too much. God's got you, and you have to trust him. We try to figure out his plan because we like to be in control. But the secret things belong to God. Moses wrote, the things revealed to us belong to us and to our children forever that we might obey him. Deuteronomy 29, 29. But we're always itching to know, to understand, to perceive, to know the end from the beginning. But we are not granted that. And so, in fruitful waiting is the path to real fruitfulness. Whatever your situation, whatever your circumstance, you can be fruitful and effective in the kingdom of God. And do not, lie, do not let the lies of the enemy trick you from that truth. You can always bear fruit and glorify God in all seasons of your life. And so I want to ask, I want to make this real, what are you painfully waiting on God for today? We have some that are waiting on God for work and the right opportunity to move here. It's hard, isn't it? Some are so ready to get married. Some want children. Some among us are patiently waiting on God through chronic pain. The heartache of fears and worries and troubles can feel like they are choking you. Others of us are waiting upon a fallen body to heal and to strengthen. You have cells in your body that you're worried about. We're waiting on God to get married. We're waiting for our children to love the Lord Jesus. We're waiting on things that are so hard, but the burden is increased because it's a private burden that few know of. 
we're ashamed. Waiting on God is a reality. And it's painful. But it can be a blessing. One commentator says, the ideal Israel is a people where every single member readily acknowledges his or her dependence on God's mercy and grace. Dependence is good. It's good. This is why it's a blessing to undergo trials. It appeals to us to be humble, to, to need him. One of my favorite biblical counselors was David Paulison. He was a master. He passed away last year. He said, trouble catches our attention. Faith has to sink roots as profession deepens into reality. Faith has to dig deep when you're hurting. It challenges us. How much do you want God? That's what the pain of trials ask us. Martin Luther said, affliction, trial, difficulty, in a word, struggle, are the touchstone of Christian experience. He said that hardships were his greatest teacher because they made scripture and prayer come alive like nothing else. And genuine spiritual growth traffics in trouble because Christ enters into it. Remember, I think this is comforting. God is not afraid by trouble. God's grace for the humble accompanies trouble. Paulison said, we learn to love the way Christ loves only by experiencing the hard things that he experienced in loving us. And so there is the beauty in waiting. Remember, as you do, God's heart is kind. He's appropriate, appropriately brutal with a swaggering and cocky oppressor, the hurtful and ungracious. These are a warning We must always avoid these things. Rather, confess and receive him. Follow the model of the psalmists. And then you can actually have sympathy and effective love for others. That's also the value of trials. It's pain. It teaches humility and empathy and sympathy. Romans 8, 31 through 34. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died. Yes, rather, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who also intercedes for us. Consider what Romans 8 is saying. God freely gave his only begotten son for you. Remember that in your waiting. His closest, dearest, and most beloved son to slaughtering on a cross for sin. This proves that he is for you in the midst of your pain. 
your loneliness, your depression. God, from before the foundation of the world, Romans 8 teaches us, elected you. God freely set his affection on you. You are known, not forgotten. He has been for you all along. That's what Romans 8 says. And Jesus continues to intercede for you at the Father's right hand. He gives his best to you. He gives himself. His spirit proving he is still for you. Have you forgotten, friends, that the Lord favors those who fear him, those who wait for his loving kindness? Why do you say, O Jacob, and assert, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord, and the justice do me escapes the notice of my God? Do you not know, have you not heard, the everlasting God, the Lord, the creator of the ends of the earth, does not become weary or tired? His understanding is inscrutable. And those who wait for the Lord will gain new strength. They will mount up with wings like eagles. They will run and not get tired. They will walk and not become weary. Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you And as another wise man said, he teaches us to need his mercies. Value these mercies learned in these lessons more than the pain it takes through waiting to get them. Value the goal, brothers and sisters, of the Lord Jesus Christ. And the goal is good. Remember, he is for you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are so good. Your heart is kind. You look upon us and you have a smiling face through the Lord Jesus Christ, filled with mercy and truth, of severity and justice, of wrath towards sin, yes. But, oh God, you have set your love and affection upon us. It is your kindness that has led us to humiliation and confession. Surround us with your mercies. Our hearts are open. They trust in you. Help, we believe, but help our unbelief. You will see us through because you are good. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's respond to God in joyful worship with the doxology. Christian, what do you believe? We believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, 
the only begotten Son of God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten not made, being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin, Mary, and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. The third day he rose again according to the scriptures and descended into heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father. He shall come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom shall have no end. And we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and the Son together is worshipped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And we believe one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and we look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. You may be seated. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is good and right to give him thanks and praise. That most interesting theologian, James Jordan, said once, and he's spot on true faith is thankful, not proud and grasping. True faith is restful and patient, not restless and impatient. True faith wrestles with God for blessings, not first and foremost with men. Rest in Him and receive the favor of this meal, people of God. Be strong in the Lord today and of good courage. Let's pray. Our Father, we know you because of your tangible grace, a grace that was poured out in blood like wine. We recognize you. We see you through your hospitality. In Jesus' name, amen. For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus in the night in which he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, we are grateful and thankful for the infinite gift of your son, Jesus. Amen.
in faith evermore and always, the body of Christ received by faith, broken for you. Let's partake. In the same way, he took the cup also after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me, for as often as you eat the bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Amen.
All God's people said, Amen. In faith and by covenant relationship, the blood of Christ, privilege of privileges, shed for you. Let's drink. Our Father, we are in union with you, and you are in union with us. We have been crucified with you, risen with you. The lives we now live are by a glad faith. You gave yourself to us, and we will give ourselves to others this very day. In the name of King Jesus, we pray. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will, working in you what is well-pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. <laughs> 